episode 172 with Tom King, the CEO and founder of Icon Foods, now has his own condiment line, Guy Gone Keto. Check him out, guygoneketo.com. I've tried them, specifically the spicy garlic ketchup, delicious, healthy. If you're in a ketogenic diet, if you're looking to start one, you need to supplement it with other things. It can't be just the food. You need the condiments. You need the oils, those types of things. So check them out, guygoneketo.com. We've linked them in the show notes. Fantastic conversation. A lot about biohacking and how the mind and brain and body can be optimized, how the body works, how we break down sugars, how we burn fat. A lot of valuable information in this one. So check them out. We've linked them in the show notes and look forward to you hearing this. But before we get there, everybody, please subscribe, continue to share the podcast with your friends, with your family, with somebody that may have never even listened to a podcast. They don't even know what one is. They're scared to listen to one. They think they have to subscribe. They think they have to pay for it. No, just forward them the podcast. Text message it to them. And if you're going on a trip, if you're going on an airplane, if you're going across country, download a bunch of episodes. It's going to help you pass the time. The time flies by, especially when you listen to The Optimal Life. So uh, the ratings, the reviews, everybody continue to do that, continue to share, and it is much, much, much appreciated. With that said, another educational and informative episode. Can't wait for you guys to enjoy this one. Please welcome the one and only Tom King. The Optimal Life. So this is just a side gig, the condiments. If that's a side gig, what's your prime focus then? Um, well, my prime focus is um, I'm the CEO and chief food scientist for Icon Foods. Which means exactly what? Well, the chief, chief food scientist part of it is mostly I reformulate, uh, you know, um, food manufacturers' products to get their sugars down. And I also create new formulations. Like there's a company that's like, hey, we want to do a soft drink and want to have, you know, like three net carbs and no sugars. Can we, you know, and so I'll formulate that. And, and, and then I would say my CEO job, portion of the job would be uh, basically cat herding, like just herding cats all day. <laughs> Cat herding. I've never heard. So, what do you, how, how do you relate that? What's the analogy? Uh, chaos, managing chaos. You know, like particularly now, you know, with with food ingredients and stuff because of COVID and logistics and stuff like that. There, like every single supply chain is completely broken. Mm. Um, and yeah, that. So that's been quite something for us to manage. But we've been we've been getting through it and actually thriving where other companies aren't. But I would have to say that, yeah, my day, my day job in the food science and, and, and CEO has been, been pretty chaotic for the past year. So I find this fascinating because this is a type of business that I don't know much about. I don't know the food industry and I've uh-huh. always found it to be somewhat mysterious because how does somebody start and where do they go and how do they find the supply chain and come up with the ingredients and all this type of stuff. So take yep. us back a little bit and let us know how you got started with this and how it evolved. Um, that's a good question. Well, I I was in a completely different industry and it was like in 1993, like back in the day. And I ran into a gentleman who had just come back from Paraguay and he had like these jars full of a variety of different herbs and, and pastes and different things that he brought back with him. And he, you know, he said, Hey, you should try this one. And it was actually ground up stevia leaves and and it was sort of a paste and that in that natural state that it was in, it was about 25 times sweeter than sugar. And at that point, it was like taking the red pill, right? I mean, it really sent me down the rabbit hole because it was sweet, but it didn't have any calories and it didn't have any carbs. And so I, I was like, well, how is this even possible? 
And so this is where I really started diving into chemistry. Like, you know, what is the compound in this leaf that, you know, that is so sweet, but doesn't, you know, but doesn't have any calories to it. And so that, that particular, you know, the particular compound that's found in the leaf, in the stevia leaf like that is called the stevioglycoside. And it's just part of, of glycosides, which exist in nature. So there's a lot of stuff that exists in nature that's just naturally sweet that doesn't contain any sugars. And at that point, my focus became, okay, so how do I unlock these sweet constituents from this leaf, you know, to make it more high intensity? And how do I launch this sweetener to be a natural version of like aspartame or sucralose or something like that? And, and that... And that sort of began my journey. Like, okay, so how do we use a hot water process to release this? And how do we not use chemicals? And, you know, I, I was working in the entertainment industry at the time. And I just, I put everything that I had, like all the money that I was, you know, that I was making went right back into hiring chemists and, you know, and seeking out like a, a company that could co-manufacture um, this stevia extract. And so finally in, in like 1998 or 99, I was, I was able to find a company that, um, you know, that could do this for us. And I started bringing it into the United States. And at that point in time, uh, the FDA had only approved, you know, like aspartame, you know, you could use aspartame, which, has been shown to cause Parkinson's in, in some people. And the FDA didn't approve stevia extract as a sweetener, even though it was natural. And so my first shipments that I started bringing into the United States were confiscated by the FDA, which, you know, which sucked um, because I had to sign like an open search and seizure order, allowing the FDA to go through my house at any time looking for products that weren't approved as, uh, as food, uh, as food products. And, you let know, me, let so me stop it you wasn't there. until 2008 that the, uh, you know, that the, the FDA said, yeah, well, you know, we can, we're going to approve some grades of stevia extract as, as, you know, as food ingredients. Tom, and what that's was, when things really took off. What was the FDA scared of with the stevia extract? Um, you know, I don't know if the FDA is, is afraid of anything. I mean, they basically, you know, it's an interesting part of, of our government because the people that sit on the board of the FDA can actually be shareholders in some of the companies that they approve. So I think at the point, at that point in time, it was political influence. Like they didn't want something coming into the you know, into the country that might interfere with, you know, with sweet and uh, low. aspartame or sucralose or any of these other chemically based sweeteners that are being created by these large, you know, these large chemical companies. And so, you know, you can't really patent stevia because it exists in nature, but these other compounds like sucralose and aspartame certainly have patents on them. So it's kind of how, you know, it's, it's how the, the FDA works. And I mean, I don't know if it's still this way, but it was definitely that way then. So, um, it took until 2008 for it to be approved as a, as a, a food additive. And it wasn't, it wasn't me who was able to do it. Um, a giant multi-billion dollar company called Cargill was able to convince the FDA that, um, that, you know, stevia could be suitable for, um, you know, as a food ingredient. So it was that journey, you know, but at that point, then once in 2008, they said, yeah, we can use it as a food ingredient. That's, you know, that's when we started to scale like very quickly, like using stevia, blending it with other, uh, with other compounds to make something that, you know, that was on parity with sugar that could be plugged into any, you know, any food ingredient at any time. And that, that's what launched our business. What's the difference between stevia and your traditional sweet and low? Oh, it's a huge difference. Like, so stevia, so those, those sweet constituents, <coughs> excuse me, the sweet constituents that are in the stevia leaf, those exist in, in nature. 
in like a chemical sweetener like Sweet and Low or uh, Splenda. Um, those those are chemicals that don't exist in nature. Like like let's take Splenda for example, because that's probably the most um, the most popular chemical based sweetener right now. I mean Splenda, Splenda the the main compound in the, in that is called sucralose, and sucralose is actually a chlorinated sugar molecule. So they take a sugar molecule and they chlorinate it, and it changes the molecular structure where it's still sweet, but your body doesn't identify it as a sugar, and it just passes through your uh, your body without being metabolized. But um, but the, the difference is, is that it doesn't exist in nature. So where you could have stevia um, or any of the, you know, any of the natural sweeteners that actually exist in nature that are non-caloric, you can have those and those won't affect your blood sugar levels because your, your body knows what to do with it. You know, it recognizes it because it exists in nature. But when you put something in your body like sucralose, you know, from Splenda, your body doesn't know what to do with it. Like it doesn't know like, okay, so we can't metabolize this. What is this that I just put in my body? But what happens is it is your brain still, it still acts as though it's sugar. It's like, okay, well, we're not going to metabolize it, but we're still going to have the same reaction that we would have to sugar. So it can't, it has a tendency to bump up your insulin levels, um, you know, and, and it also triggers hunger. So that would be the difference between, you know, like stevia or monk fruit extract or any of the natural sweeteners that are out there and, you know, Splenda and, and NutraSweet and things like that. So when I was younger, I remember there was obviously sugar is a terrible drug. I mean, sugar is mm-hmm. one of the worst drugs known to man that destroys people every single year all throughout the globe. I also remember when I was younger, the, the sweet and low and NutraSweet and that kind of stuff, based upon kind of what you just said, came out with a lot of negativity as well. So my question for you is, is it better to use sh- just pure sugar in a, in a drink or to use one of those other artificial es- extracts not known as stevia? Yeah. That's an interesting. That's an interesting question. Like, is it better to use one over the other? They're just different in the way they affect your body. So I would say that one isn't better than the other. You you will get calorie abatement, meaning that if you have NutraSweet or you know any of the other uh, any of the other chemical based sweeteners, you'll get calorie abatement, which means that you know you're not taking calories in. So there's zero calorie sweeteners. Um, it still triggers your insulin resistant or your insulin, which means that over time, if you continue to use it, you could develop insulin resistance, which is sort of a precursor for diabetes. So I would say that's one thing to consider when you look at sugar, um, you know, and you, you referenced it as a drug and I wouldn't say that, that sugar is necessarily a drug, but it definitely functions like one. Um, it triggers the same pleasure areas in your brain as cocaine does. So it can be highly addictive. And I mean, and if people doubt this, like if people are like, no, sugar's not, you know, not addictive. And, you know, it, it, try giving sugar to a little kid, you know, <laughs> and you will see them, you know, turn into a fiend for sugar. Sugar's and not then addictive. after they have sugar, they run around, you know, like a maniac and then boom, they crash. Who, until the next time that they want sugar again. Who, who in their right mind thinks that sugar is not addictive? I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of people that believe a lot of stuff that is not is not factual. But, I mean, sugar is addictive. There's some other things about sugar, you know, that are are part and parcel with, with an addiction is that high amounts of sugar, you know, can can you know feed cancer cells so like when you when you think of like somebody going in for for a pet scan right they give you they give you a shot of glucose that is um that has a radioactive isotope in it that shows up 
when you you know when you're in the uh, in the PET scan machine. And so the reason they do that is that cancer cancer cells are ravenous, like they love glucose, and so that uptake it'll just show up because you'll get spots that are glowing because there's so much because they're consuming so much um, glucose, and so mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know the ketogenic diet and removing um, sugar from your diet completely have been modalities that have been used to actually control tumor growth. Um, I mean, that's one, that's one area where sugar is, is, is pretty deadly. Uh, the other one is actual neuro, uh, like neuro, neuro, uh, degenerative. Um, what's again, like neurological, um, dysfunctions, you know, like degenerative disease, the brain, like, like Alzheimer's and, and dementia. I mean, it's, it's shown like Alzheimer's, you know, is amyloidal plaque that builds up on the brain and you know in dementia is uh, amyloidal plaque that builds up on the brain and so the the way that that plaque builds up on your brain and they're they're actually referring to neurodegenerative diseases now as diabetes type 3 um but what happens is your brain functions off glucose right and once you know once your brain uh, has depleted all that glucose, it can go into a cerebral flush, which means that it basically flushes out uh, the fluid that's in your cranium, which includes, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of ash, if you will, like stuff that's been burned up, like peptides and stuff like that, that, you know, that have been burned up while your brain, you know, your brain was functioning. And so it, during a cerebral cerebral flush it actually flushes out a lot of that you know a lot of those that waste product that builds up in your brain if your brain isn't allowed to go to that level like you don't deplete the body of of glucose um it doesn't go through a a cerebral flush and what happens is you start to get this buildup of plaque on your brain and as that plaque builds up that's where you get the neurodegenerative you know diseases you know like dementia and Alzheimer's Hmm. so I know I mean it's pretty fascinating and then also um, you know epilepsy epileptic seizures have been associated with with um, you know with an abundance of of glucose in your in your system so you know the ketogenic diet which has no sugar in it whatsoever has also been used as a modality to to control uh, to control seizures yeah. And I mean, I've seen this firsthand before, you know, there's a, uh, an event called the Me- metabolic health summit and I've met several people that have been able to c- control their seizures simply by, you know, adopting a ketogenic lifestyle and eliminating sugar yeah. as their, as their main fuel. So yeah. there's a lot of things that sugar does to our body, um, that are unhealthy. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, again, it's, it's uh, maybe it's not categorized as a drug, but boy, it has the same impact and effects. And any yeah. go go look at a go go ask that three hundred pound person that can't stop drinking their big gulps if they think sugar's yeah. addictive. I'd like to know what they say. Yeah, I mean that's just a sign of metabolic disease. It just means that you know you're taking in you know more glucose and fructose than you are <clears throat> able to burn. And, you know, and what's interesting is sugar, you know, when you look at a sugar molecule, a sugar molecule, which is called sucrose, is actually a bond between glucose and fructose. And, you know, that that particular bond is broken when you eat it. So when you eat, you know, when you eat sugar, you know, your digestive system breaks up that molecule and the glucose uh you know, the glucose is used as energy. And then the fructose actually goes in, is metabolized by your liver. And so the interesting thing about fructose, and I mean, the fascinating thing about fructose is that, you know, your liver is like this amazing organ that metabolizes so many things like fats and sugars and alcohols and stuff like that. But what's interesting about fructose is fructose is not even used as energy in your body, right? You know, so when somebody eats a piece of fruit, you know, I mean, eating a piece of fruit is a lot different than, you know, than drinking a, like a 
tall glass of apple juice or or even worse like orange juice um you know because when you're drinking just the juice you're just basically drinking the sugar and so um fructose actually gets converted to lipids which are fats so once it hits your liver your liver converts it to fat and the fat will just store around your belly and here's an example of this that that i find to be totally fascinating when you look at a bear like bears when they're getting ready to hibernate um you know for the winter i mean they're going through garbage they're going through like orchards and stuff like that where the fruit has fallen on the ground and so when that fruit is that it's it's just overly ripe is when it has the highest concentration of fructose and so these bears right before they go into hibernation are eating a ton of, of fruit, like a ton of rotten fruit, anything that they can get that has fructose in it. And what happens is that fructose immediately is converted over to lipids or fat. And so the bear gets super fat and then goes into hibernation. But that's not what humans do. Like we don't go into hibernation. I mean, I've seen some people kind of go into hibernation, but I don't <laughs> think it's common. Right. Um, but yeah so when you know so as a human being if you're drinking you know like a giant big gulp or whatever like these massive 64 ounce sodas that are loaded with high high fructose corn syrup number one high fructose corn syrup doesn't really necessarily mean that it's all fructose but it's pretty much just liquid sugar so part of it will go your you'll be metabolizing it it'll trigger an insulin response and that's what takes you down your pathway of insulin resistance and metabolic disease but the other part of it you know the uh, the fructose is metabolized by your liver and it just gets packed on your body as belly fat yeah and it continues to push it continues to push you deeper into metabolic disease so stop it with the soda well i'm wondering does Fructose is that a byproduct of alcohol as well? Is that happening? No, that it's not. That and that's an interesting question too because I get a lot of people asking me. It's like, well, hey, if you're on a ketogenic diet, can you drink alcohol? You can. You can drink alcohol. If it's straight alcohol or alcohol mixed with water, or if it's like a dry red wine that doesn't contain a lot of sugar. So what alcohol is, is ethanol. And so ethanol is metabolized by your liver. But once you metabolize the ethanol, it's done. Like it doesn't get stored in your body as fat. and It doesn't and convert to a lipid. It doesn't turn into a lipid. Beer, mm-hmm. on the other hand, does. Like sweet drinks, you know, like uh, you yeah, know, a margarita uh, yeah. loaded with sugar. Long All that sugar tea. will get metabolized into fat, and it'll also raise your insulin level. But if you just have ethanol, which is just alcohol, you know, you, you could have a glass of bourbon. Yes. You know, Thank and God. Be okay. Thank God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, keto diet. Where this is where we're going because this is part of your. What I find fascinating about you is you're a CEO, but you're really a, a lifestyle. You're a biohacker, and you're you're into the you geek out on, on this this uh, these things that make us feel better, that allow us to optimize our minds and our bodies. The meditation, the foods we eat, the the, the like you say, you're very you can talk technically about a lot of this stuff. So, when did you start getting into keto? How long ago? And Tell people more, because we've just touched on it a little bit. Talk more about the keto diet and its benefits. Okay. So the way I got into keto, so, you know, I've had this food ingredient company for a long time. And so, I mean, I knew about keto. I knew about going into ketosis. But at the time, at the time, it was the Atkins diet that was the most effective way of, of putting yourself into keto. Um, at the time, there's far more better ways to do that now. Um, but I would say back in the late nineties, early two thousands, I would use it. I would use Atkins as a diet. So I would live my lifestyle of pizza, beer, ice cream, you know, and, and then I'd get fat 
And then I would use Atkins for a month or so, lose, you know, 15, 20 pounds, and then go back to my lifestyle. And so what happened is that sort of created this yo-yo effect. But what happened, but with a yo-yo effect, it's like, yeah, okay, so you lost 15 pounds, but over a three-month period, you gained 20. And then you lost another 15, and then you gained 20. And so eventually, you know, I was carrying about 35 pounds of extra weight, um, which which put me in the category of, of almost obese. And, you know, my BMI index was like 26 or something, which really put me in sort of an unhealthy category. And so I would say the impetus for writing the book and really adopting a ketogenic lifestyle is I was in Vegas and I had, you know, I had, I was there for a trade show and I had one of my, uh, you know, one of our vendors take me out to dinner and I just had a ribeye, a baked potato, I had cake, I had wine, you know, and I got up to my room and, and, and the room was not super great. I mean, it smelled like, you know, just like, booze was poured on the carpet stuff like that and you know it's just the room felt like you know uh, regret and broken dreams and so <laughs> i got up to the room and i'm like all right let's and i just looked at myself in the mirror and i'm like dude it's like you're you're an imposter you are like you you work in this you know clean label sugar reduction industry and your blood pressure is like 199 over 90 and you are carrying around 35 pounds of extra weight. Your muscle mass is not great. And it's like, but, you know, so what are you going to do about it? And at that point in time, I think that the pain, like that pain of like, wow, I am an imposter and I am working in an industry where I'm not walking my talk. And I think that that pain exceeded the pleasure that I was getting from, you know, eating pizza and eating carbs and you know drinking soda and all of that I mean I hit that threshold and it, it was sort of a moment of crisis for me because I'm like Jesus how am I going to get this handled um, and really it was the power of journaling because I you know I've always sort of resolved my issues you know by journaling I journal every single morning I never miss it and I started writing it down I started writing down like okay, this is, you know, this is where I am now. And then I got deep into data collection, like checking my blood pressure, checking my temperature, and then, you know, checking my resting heart rate and what things are, are affecting it. And that sort of took me down this path of really getting, really making keto a, a lifestyle for me. And through all of this journaling, after a year, I really just had a book. You know, and a friend of mine turned me on to a publisher. I gave it to him. I said, "Hey, this is a sort of a rough manuscript. I can get it edited. What do you guys think?" And they're like, "This is great." And you know, and that was, you know, and that's how I sort of that's not sort of that is how I adopted a ketogenic lifestyle. I was really just writing about it and setting my intention. And that was how long ago, um, Tom? That was five years ago. Five so years the ago. book came out five years ago, and which. You know, I'm. I, it was my first real book, and you know, I'm like, okay, well, nobody's going to read this. <laughs> and then the first week, it was number one on Amazon. Wow! How do you get I, to number like, one? Holy the, the, shit! The book how is does that happen? The book is called Guy Gone Keto, and I yes. actually have a copy of it that your assistants were kind enough nice. to send to me. So I, I am going to read it. It's a small. Easy to hold, very uh, shiny cover. I mean, it looks great. It looks great just just in terms of usability. Fifteen pages, yeah. and it's interesting because I, you know, I autograph a lot of books when I go to shows and stuff, and uh, and most people are like, "Well, I thought this was going to be like a keto book, you know, with all sorts of recipes and stuff like that." I have some recipes in there, but really, what the book is about is making a lifestyle change, like finding you know if, if it's paleo if it's keto if it's that you want to run a marathon and right now you can't even walk i mean what it is it's about how to make a lifestyle change leveraging you know leveraging like pain yeah you know beautiful. associating 
you know, huge amounts of pain to bad habits and how to create good habits. And that's really what the book was about. And then, you know, I made the condiments afterwards because well, I couldn't have, couldn't have ketchup or anything. So I just made them, but you know, <laughs> your audience is probably thinking, what the hell is a keto diet? And I mean, a keto diet is really simple. I mean, it's super simple. You're going to eat 70% fat. You're going to eat 20%, 20% protein, and you're going to eat 10% uh, carbs. But those carbs are going to come from leafy greens, you know? Not the simple and, carbs. Hmm? Not the simple carbs, not the starches, those kind of no, things. No, you're not going to be eating bread. You're not going to be eating rice. You're not going to be being, you're not going to eat anything that's, that's called high glycemic. Mm -hmm. which triggers a blood sugar response. But you can eat celery, you can eat artichokes, you can eat lettuce, you can eat... I mean, there's tons of veggies that you can eat out there. If it's green and basically grows above the ground, eat it. Hey, Tom, you know, here, but, but how about all the naysayers? How about the people that are going to... But, but, Tom, how can you recommend me going on a diet of 70% fats? Are you crazy? Isn't that crazy? I know it, and you're gonna lose weight doing it. You're gonna <laughs> feel so much better and have so much energy. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because what's gonna happen is when you adopt a ketogenic lifestyle or you you get into a ketogenic diet, <clears throat> you are going to burn burn up the glucose that's stored in your body, right? So you're not eating any sugar. Your your body goes into goes into this sort of semi starvation mode. Where it's like, okay, now I need to start releasing, you know, the the glucose that's been that's piled around my belly, you know. So that so what you have, what you have, what you're storing in your body is called glycogens, and it can be burned like glucose. So once you haven't taken in, you know, like eaten something that has glucose in it, your body actually has it stored, and that's when you start turning into this fat burning machine. And so once your body's depleted from depleted of, of glucose, now your body starts burning fat. And this is where things get super interesting. This is where your liver really functions. So your liver actually burns fat and converts it to ketones. And so your body is able to either function on glucose or your body is able to function on ketones. And so the difference between when your body is functioning on, on glucose and ketones is like glucose is like rocket fuel. You know, like if you're going to run a race or something like that, it's going to, you're going to burn it super fast and it's going to, you know, it's going to give you this spike of energy. But being like, have, being, uh, having your body run on fat and ketones is a different it's a different feeling. It's not like rocket fuel. What it is is it's a steady, high energy mode because your body functions so much better on fat than it does glucose. Um, it, it's sort of like a difference between a gasoline engine and diesel. Like you're gonna get so many more miles out of a diesel engine. You're gonna get better performance, better gas mileage. Um, you know, and that's you know, that is the best way I think for your body to function. So. I think I know where you're going with this. Like, well, what about, you know, what about cholesterol and what about hardening of the arteries and, and all of this? Those aren't necessarily a function of fat as much as they are sugar. Mm. I mean, sugar is what causes obesity and, and hardening of the arteries and, you know, any of this sort of cardiovascular disease. Your body can burn that fat up. It just burns it, you know, when you are depleted of glucose. And that's, I mean, that's how it works. So for people that don't understand in layman's terms, if you're eating carbs, you're eating pizzas, breads, those types of things, you're going to be putting a lot of glucose into your body. The body can't even get to the fat to burn that until it gets through the glucose, correct? That is 100% correct. And so here's something that's interesting. You know, so I asked a PhD one time, I'm like, well, so if you don't have any glucose in your body, your brain's going to stop functioning, right? And which is true, but your body only needs four tablespoons of glucose in order to function. And that's just naturally exists in your body and can be pulled from muscles or fat stores. 
Yeah, and and then of course on top of that the the keto once you're in that state of ketosis, which is a tough place to get from what I've what I've seen. I mean, it's not easy to get there. If you can get there, like you said, you're living in a steady environment. You feel good. You feel alive. You feel awake, and you don't get those cravings. Correct. You don't crave Yeah, you don't foods. get cravings, and you also don't get that afternoon slump, you know, like about yes. 2 o'clock where you're like, shit, I got to have a cup of coffee. Right. You don't get that. That there, just stops. There's like, no crashing. Because you're – go ahead, sorry. There's no crashing and burning anymore during your day. You don't get a crash. You don't get a burn. And then also getting into ketosis is not as hard as what you think. Like if you – if your body's carrying a lot of glucose, it could take you a couple weeks. What's the keto you know, flu? Like, What's the keto flu like? Well, I've never experienced the keto flu, actually. I know tons of people that have, um, you know, and they said that you get a headache, fatigue. I never had that happen. And I think that the reason I didn't have it happen is because of water consumption, mm-hmm. water consumption and fat consumption. So there's there's a thing called MCT, like it's a multi-chain triglyceride, and it, it's just it's fat. It's basically fat that you're that's so refined that your body can immediately convert it to ketones. So if you're drinking coffee, you're drinking tea, if you add some MCT oil to your coffee or tea, it'll drive you it'll drive you further into into ketosis and you can eliminate that you can eliminate that keto flu. And for people um, that don't know what we're talking about, it's basically you feel like shit because your body's yeah. been so used to glucose and sugars and starches and carbs, all this, and now you're depleting your body. So your body almost goes into a state of shock where you feel sick, like you don't have, you don't feel right for a couple of days. Yeah, it's like withdrawal. It's withdrawal. Yeah, <laughs> you're withdrawing yeah. from like, you know, consuming so much sugar. Yeah, well, it's it not goes as, back to it. It's again. not as bad as what people say. Right. Well, it goes back to that. A day again. If if uh, I just find that shocking that there's people out there because obviously you know this better than I do that don't think that sugar is addictive. Go go on um go on a keto diet. You'll see how addictive sugar is when your body goes into shock. I mean, you, you know what I yeah. mean. So it's uh it's interesting. So what I meant to ask you before though, back on the guy gone keto book that you put out several years back. How in the world do you go number one on Amazon? How does that work? I don't even know. Like it just got released and stuff. And we did some, you know, like we we tied in with a couple uh, like influencers who read the book and stuff. But I'm not sure how it happened. I mean, well, keto was like at the time the number one search search term in Google. And I just think the timing was right on it. You know, we like I've done like I I was also supporting it with a bunch of podcasts. Mm. I was surprised. I was. I, I was seriously surprised by it, you know, because um, the book just started to sell like crazy. It showed up as number one, and I'm like, this can't possibly be right. Like <laughs> this, That's this great. I had to take a screenshot of it because like, it's like you're this, like is everybody sort of you're like is everybody else showing up as number one on their book too? Am I just getting punked here? What's going on? Yeah. That's totally how it was. And then I mean, and so I think it just really sort of brought out more of that imposter like syndrome because I number one I'm like this has got to be some kind of mistake and then I went to an event you know like like trade shows and stuff like that and people were lined up to get the book and and which I was like okay this is this is not unexpected and then as they were buying the book they want me to autograph it and in the beginning that was such a foreign thing for me like I was like you want me to sign this? You know, this is just me. This is just the guy gone keto. I was a fat guy who got thinner and, you know, it was so weird. Like the first time I'm just like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll sign it. And then after that, I, you know, and, and so my publicist is like, I'm like, I just feel so weird signing books. Like, I guess I just don't feel worthy or something of signing them. And, and so my publicist at the time was, was super cool about it. She was like, you know that those people respect what you wrote. And for you to sign that book sort of memorializes that, you know, that transaction or, you know, 
that you met them and stuff like that. And after that, I, I, it just autographing the book had become a thing of contribution for me. Oh, like great. writing something nice in the book when somebody sees it, they're like, Oh shit, I get it. I get it. So it, and I don't even know how many books I've autographed now. So it's like, but they're all unique to me. Do you, so, have, do you have plans for a second? Do you have plans for a second book? I do. I do like a second, third, fourth and fifth. So my next book is actually going to be on journaling um, because journaling is what got me to that first book. And, you know, a, a lot of times when, you know, because it's sort of public, publicly known that, you know, that I'm a big journaling guy. And one of the questions that I get from everybody who interviews me about that is like, well, how do I do that? How do I journal? Like I just, you know, I, I bought, and my first thing is go buy yourself a nice journal. Don't get a crappy journal. Get, get one that's worthy of your words and get a writing instrument, not a pen, you know, like a pen is just like, that's what people use to write with. But this is like, this is a writing instrument and you're going to use it to, you know, to make sacred the words that you're, that you're putting into this journal. And, you know, the next question is like, well, I have a blank page in front of me. I and no idea what I should put in there. And I'm like, yeah, ask yourself the questions. Ask yourself questions like, what am I grateful for? What am I going to do today to make myself better? <clears throat> what am I going to do to refrain, restrain? What am I letting go of? You know, that's a big thing. What am I going to let go of? Am I letting go of fear? You know, the fear of like what other people think about me or the fear of loss or the fear of death. You know, like I practice stoicism and that big component of, of stoicism is if you teach a man to die you teach a man truly how to live so i reflect on mortality and you know and then affirmations just like write down affirmations and make it a breathing affirmation like with every you know breath i every inhale you know i draw confidence i draw you know prosperity determination whatever those things you want to draw to your life and then with every exhale it's what you want to let go of. You want to let go of bad habits. You want to let go of, you know, of people that no longer contribute to your, you know, to your, uh, you know, to your growth. Yeah. So yeah. if you start asking yourself those questions and you just ask, ask yourself those questions before you know it, you're going to have eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper filled with thoughts. And the beauty of that is it's going to set the stage. It's going to set the stage for your day. And it's like how you craft your masterpiece on a daily basis is through that journaling and through asking yourself questions. You mentioned stoicism. Mm. It's something that I'm big into as well, and I've gotten much oh. more interested in it late, very much lately. So it's ironic that you mentioned that because you've. It's because to me that's it's such a powerful healthy way to live if you can if you can put things into perspective and live in the moment and embrace embrace the suck embrace what's thrown at you and uh, keep your mind calm I mean there's so many different facets to it yeah my question for you when it comes to stoicism because you said you said something along the lines of if you teach a man death that's how you really teach him how to live yeah because we're all put here for a very short period of time and then we're gone Tom and that's yeah. it and that's it and I know people talk about leaving a legacy and I'm gonna do this and the, you don't know who your great-grandparents barely know who they were <laughs> let alone the people that came before them you know the, the people that were here a hundred years ago hundred it's not that long ago yet they're gone and they may have had phenomenal lives they might have had great impacts we don't remember those people so and no, we get so caught up the we, oblivion we get so caught up here in this oblivion correct yeah so my question for for you on this on this topic yeah. is what is the purpose of this whole thing process the purpose of, of all of it is just process 
is processed. It's doing the right thing. It's, you know, it, it's coming from the right space. And, and really, like, the writing of the book, the writing of the book really deepened my relationship with, with Stoicism. I mean, and Stoicism helped me break bad habits. Like, there's nothing that will help you break a bad habit like Stoicism. And, and I mean, and so, like, Ryan Holiday wrote a book called The Daily Stoic. Mm-hmm. And, and I recommend it to anybody who wants to, you know, wants to get into Stoicism. It is the, be- the best way... From, from my perspective, it's the best way to take it in small bites. And it's like you, you it, it's a 365 day, just every day, every day, a new passage, every month, a new theme. And I, yeah, I'm, I literally mutilate the copy because I'm taking notes, I'm highlighting and stuff. And, you know, I work, I wore a book out. Like I wore my first my first uh, daily stoic book out and Ryan was so cool enough to send me a leather bound one. And then everybody's like, are you going to write in this? Are you going to write in this? And I'm like, well, I don't consider it writing. I consider it annotations. And <laughs> yes, I'm going to write in it. I'm going to mutilate it because I'll get another one, right. you know? And you know, it's like, I'm not going to live in that moment of scarcity. I'm going to throw everything I have into that book and I'm going to squeeze every drop that I can get out of it. But I would say the one thing, there was one thing that, you know, out of the Daily Stoic that I started to I started to recognize a theme, right? And this theme was this theme sort of aligned itself with uh, with the Serenity Prayer, you know, which I which is amazing. And I mean, the Serenity Prayer is part of AA, or you know, any I think any sort of recovery that, that from addictions, but it's so perfect for every everyday life you know and it it's like you know asking for you know the serenity to accept the things you can't control and then mm-hmm. reflect on that what can't you control you can't control other people you can't control time you can't control decay you can't you can't control how long your life is going to be like death can come to you any second and so when you look at the things that you don't control why why waste time on that yes yes it's like you don't control these things so just set that aside throw it away you don't need it and then the second the the second part is you know asking for the courage you know to change the things that you can you know and what is it that you can change you can change your habits you can change your thoughts you can change your vices you can change how you spend your time you can spend you can change you know what you eat and what you allow to eat you and you can also change with whom you spend time with and those things are all within your control and if you focus on the things that you have control over that's where real change comes i mean you can you can change the trajectory of your life if you just focus on the things that you actually can change and then the final part of the serenity prayer is asking for the wisdom to know the difference between the two and if you if you study stoicism long enough you're going to see that all of it all of it pretty much mirrors the serenity prayer in different ways and it's just being present and it's not being hung up on stuff that you can't control and yeah i mean yeah it's <laughs> obviously i'm passionate about it and it is a big part of my life well, I feel like it's all interconnected. The mind, body, and soul, emotionally, physically, yeah. mentally, spiritually. Somebody that's listening, we'll finish it up here in a few. Someone that's listening that's in a tough place. Maybe they're 100 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. Maybe they are addicted to those sugars that we've talked about. And mm-hmm. they're constantly worrying. They're anxious about things they can't control. And that's causing them to eat more and binge and all these things. You know, we're all, it's all interconnected. What type of advice yeah. do you have for someone that's in a tough spot right now to use maybe a keto diet, uh, uh, a paleo diet, tied in with some stoicism? I mean, what, what are some tips you can give somebody that's in that spot? Um, I would, 
I yeah, I mean somebody who is in a spot, I would definitely recommend a great place to control to get control of your life is is through is through what you eat. And I would also say that to change those habits takes discipline. And and if you want something that's a, that can help you build an amazing foundation, like a no bullshit foundation for discipline, I would get a copy of Discipline Equals Freedom by Jocko Willink. Mm. That is another book that is like, it's a must read because it just cuts through the crap. It's like, you know, it's easy to say, oh, you know what? How do I miss this? How do I stop missing this person who left me? You stop missing them, you know? And it's taking control. It's taking control over the parts of your life that you can control. But it does take discipline. Like, because it's easy to fall into bad habits because they're familiar and they're comfortable. But that's like, you know, that's another book that's like, you know, Jocko Welling's Discipline Equals Freedom Field Guide. It's it's a D- good one. D- Discipline Equals Freedom, The Daily Stoic, and of course, Guy Gone Keto. You put those three books in your arsenal, that's a good place to start. Well, thank you. I, <laughs> I appreciate you including me in yes. with those, those other two. So, Tom, before we finish here, uh, Icon Foods, you've been doing this for, for what I looks appears to be over 20 years. Um, yeah. Icon Foods is now got the Guy Gone Keto, the condiments, um, fantastic. They taste great. Where, where else? Are you, what other uh, foods or, or uh, supplements or anything else are you providing? And where are you going with the Guy Gone Keto? Um, I'm probably not going to build any other brands. So I would just like we already have a legacy sweetener brand called Staviva and people could just go to staviva.com and see all the different sweeteners we have as far as like yeah so I don't really plan on building another brand but I am going to expand the guy on keto so I have a line of cocktail mixes uh, mixers that I made last year and I'm just putting the final touches on it so we'll be releasing cocktail mixers so you could have you know, a keto-friendly margarita, keto-friendly cosmopolitan, you nice, know, nice. keto-friendly lemon drop, like all of the things that normally would have like an insane amount of sugar in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all keto-friendly. So those will be coming out. Um, I hope I'll have them out solidly by fall um, for people that are keto drunks. We will link up your website and uh, uh, other links in the show notes here. TomKing.com. Tom with an H. That's always interesting. Yes. T-H-O-M. Yeah, or you could go to GuyGoneKeto.com. Yeah. So we'll, we'll link up Tom King and GuyGoneKeto.com. You can find Tom and his company on, on social media. Um, and, uh, again, I just appreciate this. We could probably talk for hours about personal development. Uh, biohacking I mean this is what this podcast is centered around self-improvement self-help and you touch so many different aspects of it Um, you can get his book Guy Gone Keto and uh, best of luck on the journal book we'll look for books 3, 4, and 5 down the road and uh, let's do this again sometime 100% Nate thanks for having me on great questions great conversation I really appreciate it